Come follow me, the Savior said. Then let us in his footsteps tread. For thus alone can we be. This is Lexi Austin, and you are listening to The Savior Said, Season 2. This is a weekly podcast that follows my study of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Each week, I will be using the Come Follow Me curriculum of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. This curriculum can be found online at comefollowme.churchofjesuschrist.org. For more fun, follow me on Facebook at facebook.com slash the Savior Said. Please note, episodes of The Savior Said are not meant to replace your Come Follow Me experience, but to supplement your own personal study of the scriptures. Hey guys, welcome back to The Savior Said. This is the episode for April 27th to May 3rd, Mosiah 7 through 10, In the Strength of the Lord. And I know it sounds like we're really far ahead, but we're going to have general conference next week, and that is going to kind of catch us up. So we're not really that far ahead, okay? But I thought this week that this lesson is so perfect in the strength of the Lord. Um, you know, you guys, I'm sure like me, are all dealing with the COVID crisis and the virus and lockdown and quarantine and all that stuff like that. Um, it's a really scary time, I think, for our country. And um, really, I'm trying in my life to seek God and to find God in those little moments in the day that bring me peace and turn to sources of peace in my life. And Come Follow Me has been a huge part of that. You know, just reading the scriptures every day and the peace of the Book of Mormon, even though, you know, our assignment this week wasn't necessarily very peaceful, there were still parts of it that brought me peace. And before we even start with Come Follow Me, I want to read one of my favorite verses from the scriptures this week, as it applies to us who are currently dealing with the virus, the COVID-19 panic. So here we go. This is Mosiah 7, 18. O ye my people, lift up your heads and be comforted. For behold, the time is at hand, or is not far distant, when we shall no longer be in subjection to our enemies, notwithstanding our many strugglings, which have been in vain. Yet I trust there remaineth ineffectual struggle to be made. Therefore lift up your heads and rejoice, and put your trust in God, in that God who was the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, also the God who brought the children of Israel out of Egypt, then caused that they should walk through the Red Sea on dry ground, and fed them with manna that they might not perish in the wilderness. And many more things did he do for them. That same God is watching over you, and he's watching over me. He's watching over our country. He's watching over the world. He's watching over the leaders. And I think if we turn to him, he will be there through our Red Seas, and he will be there to rescue us, you know, on the mountaintops or we're at valleys or wherever we are in our life, turning to him. And rescue may look different from one person to another. For one person, it may be not getting the virus. For another person, it may be healing from the virus. For another person, it may look totally different. So, you know, he's there and he heals us and he reaches us and he comforts us in all very personal ways to us. Um, I just, I don't know, I, that verse just really spoke to me this week. You know, be comforted that the time is at hand is not far distant when we will no longer be subject to this virus. You know, we we have the technology to figure this out. It's just going to take a while. You know, we're just going to have to be in this together for a little bit longer, I think. And it even says, you know, our many strugglings, which have been in vain, it's still spreading right now. Yet I trust that there is a, a struggle that will be made. And after that, everything's going to be okay. And so that verse just really spoke to me. So I wanted to share that with you. Um, Again, the assignment this week is called In the Strength of the Lord. 
perfect, perfect assignment for um, what we're going through right now. And it's all about, we have King Mosiah who sent Ammon off to like visit this little group of Nephites in the land of Lehi-Nephi. Sometimes they just call it the land of Nephi, right? And we kind of find out their history and what they've been through. And they've been through kind of a, a situation where you know, they made some bad choices and kind of fell away from the truth. And then they come back to the truth. It's kind of a prodigal son story. And so we can see not only the prodigal son as we like look at this arc of story that King Limhi is telling us, but also just anyone who's fallen away from the church, anyone who's fallen away from truth, even ourselves on a daily basis when we decide to do something that's not right and then decide to come back to God. I mean, this is very much symbolic of that. You know, again, I always think, you know, Mormon, when he's putting together this book, you know, he's got all these different records from all these different um, years and kings and things like that. And why does he include this stuff? And I think in this particular case, he's including this story because it's a story of redemption. It's a story of someone who chose willingly to leave and got themselves in some trouble. Like, you know, sometimes we not even sin. Sometimes it's through somebody else's bad choices that we find ourselves in trouble and enslaved to whatever it is. And he, you know, decided to come back to where he knew he needed to be. And he was able to do that. It was a little bit of a struggle though. So, um, you know, I just think, I think I like the story. It's a, it's very, um, symbolic, I think, but we can only do that with the help of the Lord in the strength of the Lord. And that's why it's so important this week. So starting out with come follow me. While King Mosiah's people were enjoying continual peace in Zarahemla, their thoughts turned to another group of Nephites, who many years before had left to dwell in the land of Lehi-Nephi. Again, Lehi-Nephi, but also sometimes called just the land of Nephi. Generations had passed, and Mosiah's people had heard nothing from them. So Mosiah asked Ammon to lead a search party to find the Nephites who had left. Okay, pause. Pause and come follow me. So we... Think about Ammon. When you think about Ammon in the Book of Mormon, you think about the guy who went off and like chopped off arms of the, you know, the the Lamanite king and he protected the sheep and stuff like that. This is not the same Ammon. This is a different Ammon. Just FYI. Um, Because I was real confused about that. (laughs) So I had to do a little bit of research. Not the same Ammon. Nope. Okay. Different Ammon. All right. Just like, you know, there's lots of different Davids. There's, you know, so this, this is just a different Ammon. Okay. So Mosiah asked Ammon to lead a search party to find the Nephites who had left. The search party found that the Nephites, because of iniquity, were in captivity to the Lamanites. But with the arrival of Ammon and his brethren, suddenly there was hope for deliverance. Sometimes we're all like these captive Nephites, suffering because of our sins, wondering how we'll ever find peace again. Sometimes we're like Ammon, feeling prompted to reach out to others and eventually finding that our efforts have inspired them to lift up their heads and rejoice and put their trust in God. No matter our circumstances, we all need to repent and turn to the Lord with full purpose of heart, with faith that he will deliver us. And that's from Mosiah 7:33. And if there is one thing I can drive home, he will deliver us. Deliverance may look different to every single one of us, but we will be delivered from whatever we are struggling with in our lives. So that is the message I pretty much took home from the scriptures this week, I think. So the first section in Come Follow Me is called, If I turn to the Lord, trust him and serve him, he will deliver me. Perfect. That's just what we are talking about. That's so cool. Okay. So Come Follow Me says, Meeting Ammon, who was a Nephite from Zarahemla, gave King Limhi a spark of hope, and he wanted to pass that hope on to his people. So what might that spark of hope be? 
And I was thinking about this, and one of the things I thought about is that Ammon probably reminded King Lemhi of home. And in, you know, the end game of all of us is to return home to our Heavenly Father. So the idea of returning home, a home to the place you came from, to where people know you, to a place that's familiar and comforting and where you are loved and welcomed with open arms, that's all that Ammon reminded King Limhi of. All those things is, is what he brought to remembrance in King Limhi and gave him hope that there was a place like that that exists. And so when we look at the gospel of Christ, when we read these words of King Limhi, we ourselves are reminded of a home, a place where we are loved and cherished, a place where we used to live, but now we are here and we're going to return again someday to find people who love and cherish us. And our, it's familiar to us. It will be familiar to us. And then that's our goal is to return to that home. And that's what the scriptures do is they give us hope for that home. So I think that's interesting that I think that's what Ammon kind of sparked in King Limhi was that longing for home. And, you know, like it reminds me, sorry, this is going to be a side trail. Um, many years ago, like I would say 11, 12, 12 years ago, 12 years ago, I did a study exchange to the Czech Republic. And the study I did was on the impact of communism on libraries. And so for six weeks, I lived in the Czech Republic and I lived with different families in the different areas of the Czech Republic. When you're in the Czech Republic, of course, you go to Prague and you go to, you know, Pilsen and things like that. But I also went to a lot of the little villages to study the libraries there. And it was interesting to me when I was in those little villages that I didn't know like the language. I didn't know Czech. Czech's a very difficult language. It takes about seven years to master any sort of fluency. And so I didn't speak Czech anywhere near as good. I know how to say like one ice cream, please. But that's, that's it. I knew how to ask for ice cream. Um, and then the people I was with, it was like a lot of times it was the young people that were able to speak English because they had been taught it in school. And so there were times where a lot of times I would be the only one who spoke English and I wouldn't really know what was going on. And I'm with like all these people and I don't know, you know, and so there were times I felt very lonely, right? And I really longed for home. Um, I felt very homesick. I wanted to be where someone spoke the same language I did, where someone understood the things that I understood, you know, and even someone who shared the same faith because I was surrounded by atheists most of the time that I was in the Czech Republic. It's not a very religious place. And so one day I'm in one of the math and science libraries in, I think it was Ostrava. Ostrava, I think is where I was. Um, and so again, I'm in one of those places where I'm not hearing any English and the English I do hear is heavily accented and I just feel like an outsider, right? And so I'm there in one of the libraries and all of a sudden, you know, I'm asking a question about something that's going on in the library. And all of a sudden I hear, oh my gosh, are you American? And I turn around and do you know who I saw? I saw two sister missionaries. I'm like, this is how Heavenly Father answers my prayers with the missionaries. I turn around and I see two sister missionaries. And I was like, yes, I'm American. Are you American? And they were like, yes, we're American too. And the little sister missionary, she's like, can I give you a hug? And I was like, yes, you can give me a hug. I want to give you a hug too. And I looked at her. I'm like, I noticed a Southern accent. Are you from the South? She's like, yes, I'm from the panhandle of Florida, like right underneath Georgia. I'm like, I'm from Alabama. So it was like, I found somebody from home in the middle of this place where I felt so isolated and so alone. And that joy that I found of like finding someone who speaks my language, who knows my background and who reminded me of all the good things of home. Like that must be, I think, what King Limhi and his people must have felt when they saw Ammon. 
Like, does that make sense? Like, that's the closest analogy I guess I can give is being in a place where, you know, it's completely foreign to you and then finding someone who reminds you of home. Interesting also is that entire trip, anytime I got homesick or started feeling really lonely, you know, and I'd be praying to Heavenly Father, like, Heavenly Father, I just feel so lonely and homesick. Help me to overcome this. I would turn a corner in the city wherever I was and I would run into the missionaries. Like, I ran into missionaries left and right on that trip. And it was so funny because I'd always be like, hey, elders. And they're like, are you interested in the gospel? And I'm like, I already got the gospel. And it got to the point where the people I was traveling with were like, Lexi, some of your missionaries are over there again. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyways, I think that might be what King Limhi was feeling when Ammon came to come see him. So going back into Come Follow Me. So King Limhi has sparked this, or I guess Ammon has sparked this hope within King Limhi. And King Limhi wants to impart this to his people. And so Come Follow Me asks, as you read Mosiah 7, 14 through 33, notice what Limhi said to his people to encourage them, strengthen their faith, and give them hope that God would help them. All right, so let's take a look at that real real quick. Mosiah 7, 14 to 33. So here's what I'm seeing right here. He's really relieved to see that the people in Zarahemla still exist, and he's getting ready to explain to Ammon how his situation came to be. You know, um, he's kind of giving him the foreword of the story because what happens next is just really very interesting literarily. Is that a word? Literarily? Like <laughs> the story that happens next, it's like a story within a story. And it's just very interesting from a literary standpoint. Can I say it that way? Does that sound smarter than literarily? <laughs> Probably. All right. So he's setting up the story within a story. And he's setting up the framework for the story within a story that's happening. And so he's telling Ammon, you know, currently we're in bondage to the Lamanites. This is in 15. We're taxed with a tax that's grievous. Basically, they had to give them half of everything they made, right? And behold, our brethren will deliver us out of bondage or out of the hands of the Lamanites, and we will be their slaves. He's saying, like, this is so bad being with the Lamanites here that we will literally come back with you and we will be your slaves. We would rather be slaves with you guys than here with the Lamanites, right? And he says, it's better that we be slaves to the Nephites than to pay tributes to the king of the Lamanites. Okay, and then in 16... And now King Limhi commanded his guards that they should no more bind Ammon nor his brethren, but cause that they should go to the hill, and then they go and they camp out there on the hill. Okay, by the way, just rewind. So the reason that Ammon and his brethren had been arrested and kind of brought before King Limhi was apparently King Limhi and his guards were outside the city gates when Ammon and his brethren approached, and so it seemed like it was a threat on the king's life, which is why they were arrested and thrown into jail, just by the way. Okay. All right. And then on the morrow in 17, it came to pass that King Limhi sent a proclamation among all his people that thereby they might gather themselves together to the temple to hear the words which he should speak to him. Again, it's like all hailing back to that Jewish tradition of, you know, go and hear your leader at the temple, right? Also interesting, a side note, a historical side note, that the temple that was referred to there in verse 17 is the temple which Nephi and his people built in the land of Nephi, according to 2 Nephi 5.16. And according to that verse, it also says it was patterned after the temple built by Solomon. And except Nephi says it wasn't quite as expensively furnished, of course. And just, you know, for size wise to kind of help you imagine what this temple must have been like, it was 30 feet wide, 30 feet high, and 90 feet long. 
just so you know. So kind of like a smallish, smallish temple. And the people all gathered there. So I have to think that they probably gathered outside of the temple to hear King Limhi talk. But knowing that there was a temple that Nephi had constructed and his family had built, that makes me understand a little bit more why King Limhi, and I guess not even King, King Limhi, why Zenith was so desirous and anxious to go back to like his ancestral homelands, I guess, as he, he saw them. Because I was like, the whole time I'm reading this, I'm like, Zenith, like, why are you not just happy in Zarahemla? Like, why aren't you just hanging out over there? Like, why did you have to leave? And I think it was because this temple that Nephi built was there. Think about how much we feel attached to our temples, like the specific temple that maybe you went through for the first time. You know, the Birmingham, Alabama temple will always have a special place in my heart. But think about, you know, the Nauvoo temple or the Salt Lake City temple. You know, there are specific temples that mean a whole lot to us because of the part that they've played in our history. And so I have to think that maybe that temple played a similar role in the minds of you know, the Nephites that were there at the time. And so that's what drove them to go seek out these ancestral lands. I don't know. That's neither here nor there. It's just a theory I have. I'm not saying it's gospel, but that's just kind of what I was thinking. Okay. And so King Limhi is in the temple. Everybody's gathered there in 18. It says, And it came to pass that when he had gathered themselves together, that he spake unto them in the wise as saying, and this is the scripture I quoted at the beginning, O ye my people, lift up your heads and be comforted. For behold, the time is at hand, or is not far distant, when we shall no longer be in subjection subjection, to our enemies, notwithstanding our many strugglings, which have been in vain, yet I trust there remaineth an effectual struggle to be made. Therefore, lift up your heads and rejoice. Okay, so I'm going to pause there, because he's getting ready to give them an account of historical times where God has rescued his people. And it's interesting to me the you know, historical pictures that he's pulling out, it may seem to us like, don't you remember like this person and this person, this person? And like, I mean, he's just reaching in and pulling out like random people from Jewish history. But there's purpose behind each one that he's talking about. And here's some of the purposes that I saw. Okay. So in 19, it says, put your trust in God, the God who is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob all were able to covenant with God. And so to me, that shows that, first of all, God doesn't force anyone to do anything. It's We have the agency to choose to enter those covenants with God. And that when we enter into those covenants with God, he honors them. As long as we are honoring them, he will honor them as well. And so this is kind of King Limhi saying like, hey guys, you remember like all the stuff that went on with them? Like, hey, if we start honoring our covenants, God will deliver us. What that delivery looks like, I don't know. Maybe we'll be slaves to the Nephites. I don't know. You know, but he will deliver us. He will remember us. Uh, Another symbolism, he says, also the God who brought the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt. Okay, so uh, yeah, that was another situation where God went and took a people that made covenants with him, but that were enslaved to another people and brought them out of slavery. Okay, the very same thing that Limhi is hoping that his people will see in their futures, right? He brought them out of the land of Egypt and caused that they should walk through the Red Sea on dry ground. A lot of times Red Sea is symbolic of baptism, passing through the water to get to the promised land or heaven. And then he fed them with manna, which is also symbolic of, you know, God nourishing us and us being able to subsist upon God and what he gives us, right? And many more things did he do for them. And 20, 
And again, that same God has brought our fathers, that would be Nephi and Lehi, out of the land of Jerusalem and has kept and preserved his people even until now. And behold, it is because of our iniquities and abominations that he has brought us into bondage, which they were literally in bondage, but a lot of times sin can bring us into spiritual bondage as well. 21. And ye are all witnesses this day that Zenith, that was the man who brought the original group from Zarahemla over to the land of Lehi-Nephi, who has made king over this people, he being overzealous, so zealous, anxious, you know, to inherit the lands of his fathers, therefore being deceived by the cunning and craftiness of King Laman, who having entered into a treaty with King Zenith, and having yielded up into his hands the possessions of a part of the land, or even the city of Lehi-Nephi, and the city of Shilom, and the land round about. Okay, so pause. So I always wondered, I'm like, why did the Lamanite king like give up this land? You know, someone shows up on your doorstep and is like, hey, yo, uh, we're your mortal enemies, but we believe that this land belongs to us because it's our ancestral homelands. Like, can we have it back? And the king's like, "Eh, sure, sounds good. Go ahead and take that land. Like to me, would that not ring some like alarm bells in your head? Would you not be like, uh, well, first of all, I don't know that I would be um, brave enough to go and approach King Layman to ask that question. But even if I did, it like, and he was like, yeah, sure, go ahead. I would be like a little, huh? Like what? Why was that? That was too easy. Like too easy, right? So yeah, I mean, King Layman obviously is working a long con here. Like he knows what he wants and he knows what he's going to get out of it. And so, um, He's kind of conning Zenith and his people. 22. And all this he did for the sole purpose of bringing this people into subject, subject, uh, subjection? Oh, I struggle with that word, y'all. Or into bondage. And behold, we at this time do pay tribute to the king of the Lamanites, to the amount of one half of our corn and our barley and even all our grain of every kind, and one half of the increase of our flocks and our herds, and even one half of all we have are possessed, the king of the Lamanites doth exact of us or our lives. Whew, that is, you know, very scary, I think. 23. And now is this not grievous to be born? And is not this our affliction great? Now behold, how great reason we have to mourn. Yea, I say unto you, great are the reasons which we have to mourn. For behold, many of our brethren have been slain. And their blood has been spilt in vain, all because of iniquity. So not only were they having to give half of whatever it was that they had to the Lamanites, but also it sounds like there was some violence, um, you know, some prejudice maybe that was going on between the two people. 25. For if this people had not fallen into transgression, the Lord would not have suffered that this great evil should come upon them. But behold, they would not hearken unto his words, and there arose contentions among them, even so much that they did shed blood among themselves. So not only is the threat now from the outside, but the threat is now inside as well. The Nephites are fighting within each other. And that's how sin works too. You know, usually it comes from an outside source. And if that source can infiltrate, you know, the tribe or the family or the couple or whatever it is, you know, that's one thing. But when discord and contention starts within, you know, the ward or the family or the couple, when it starts within, it's usually a whole lot more destructive than, you know, sin or whatever influence is coming in from the outside. So that tells us something too about the destructive nature of where that people had gotten. 26. And a prophet of the Lord, and this was, of course, Abinadi, 
have they slain, yea, chosen man of God, who told them of their wickedness and abominations, and prophesied of many things which are to come, yea, even the coming of Christ. Okay, something I want to clarify here, because this was something as I was reading along, and I was like, heh, wait, what? Like, Abinadi? Did I miss the Abinadi story? Did we already read it, and I just missed it? Like, what is happening? Okay, and y'all, I, mean, I promise you, like, I have read the Book of Mormon, like, dozens of times, and I guess I just read it so surface level, like, I never actually stopped to be like, okay, so that's what's going on. So he's setting up his story, Zenith's story, and he, Zenith is going to go in and tell, like, the ancestral account, I guess, of their people, and that's going to have Abinadi in it. And that's where we're going to see Abinadi's story. So Abinadi's story is coming up, even though Abinadi's story actually happened previous to this. Does that make sense? Okay. That's kind of how, how I made it in my mind. Okay. So a prophet they have slain, a chosen man of God who told them of their wickedness and abominations and prophesied of many things which are to come, yea, even the coming of Christ. And because he said unto them, Christ was the God, the father of all things and said that he should take upon him the image of man, and it should be the image after which man was created in the beginning. Or in other words, he, Abinadi, said that the man was created after the image of God, and that God should come down among the children of men, and take upon him flesh and blood, and go forth upon the face of the earth. Okay, I have to think that this was probably really inspiring to the people who knows what at this point believed, you know? I don't know what sort of, you know, we know the beliefs that they passed down, and we're actually going to talk about that a little bit more later, but what did they believe about God, you know? And what did they believe about Christ? And this to me, King Limhi saying, Christ was God, the Father of all things, that he should take upon him the image of man. Like, guys, God is coming He's going to feel everything we are feeling right now. He's going to understand everything that we are feeling right now. And he's going to be with us through everything that we are going through right now. You know, that's what he's saying there. That's so comforting. And then we can take that and, you know, put that on our own situations where we are right now. Christ understands what it's like to be alone. Christ understands what it's like to be in a land that is filled with plague. Uh, Leprosy, anybody? Right? Christ understands what it's like to be with people who are so contagious and other people who are terrified of the contagion and of the disease. Christ understands because he came down as a man and he walked this earth as a man and he knows what we are going through now as well. And he healed left and right, both those who had the disease and both those who were just diseased of spirit. And so no matter where we are, we can turn to him for healing. And that's what King Limhi is telling his people there. Maybe not the whole leprosy thing. You know, I just add that because of what we are, we're going through. But, you know, whatever you're going through, guys, like Christ is going to feel that, right? In 28. And now because he said this, they put him to death. He's talking about Abinadi again. And many more things did they do, which brought down the wrath of God upon them. Therefore, who wondereth? That they are in bondage? That they are smitten with sore afflictions? Like, no wonder, guys. Like, duh. 29. For behold, the Lord hath said, I will not succor my people in the day of their transgression, but I will hedge up their ways, that they prosper not, that their doings shall be a stumbling block before them. Then they give the law of the harvest here. And he says, and again, he saith, if my people shall sow filthiness, they shall reap the chaff thereof in the whirlwind, and the effect thereof is poison. You sow poison, you reap poison. 
And again he saith, If my people shall sow filthiness, then they shall reap the east wind, which bringeth immediate destruction. Just FYI, in the Bible, the east wind is the hot, dry wind that blows from the Holy Land from the east, and it comes off of the hot desert sands. So it's really, really hot. It's really, really dry. There's like zero humidity in it, and it sucks up whatever moisture it can find. So it can literally go through crops overnight and just ruin them. So the east wind is a wind of destruction and of, you know, desolation. And so poor King Limhi, and now behold, the promise of the Lord is fulfilled and ye are smitten and afflicted. Like y'all done did this to yourself. 33. And if you will turn to the Lord with full purpose of heart and push your trust, put your trust in him and serve him with all diligence of mind. If you do this, he will, according to his own will and pleasure, deliver you out of bondage. And those are the words that he spoke to his people to kind of uplift them, to show him the hope that he had. And, you know, to me, again, like I said this week, it was very, there's lots of peace in those those scriptures for me. Okay, so that section took up a lot of time because I made all kinds of comments and side notes. Um, There's a couple other sections here in Come Follow Me that I'm just going to skip over because you can go read it and I'm not like adding anything to it. Um, what was the 24 plates found by Limhi's people? Go in and read that. The, uh, the next section is the Lord provides prophets, seers, and revelators to benefit mankind. So I do want to pause there because I want to make a note. Because in Mosiah 8, where they're talking about these plates that need to be translated, 8.13, Ammon tells King Limhi, um, O king, I know of a man that can translate the records, for he has wherewith that he can look and translate all records that are of an ancient date. And it is a gift from God, and the things are called interpreters. And no man can look in them except he is commanded, lest he should look for for that he ought not, and he should perish. And whosoever is commanded to look in them, the same is called a seer. So the reason I wanted to pause there is because, you know, obviously we're like, okay, Urim and Thummim. Like, that's totally the Urim and Thummim. Did you know if you go to the Bible Dictionary, like, the Urim and Thummim Bible Dictionary entry is really fascinating. And not that it particularly applies to what we're studying this week. I just find it very interesting. Okay, so Urim and Thummim in the Bible Dictionary, it says it's a Hebrew term that means lights and perfections. An instrument prepared of God to assist man in obtaining revelation from the Lord and translating languages. And the Urim and Thummim has not only popped up in the Book of Mormon and in our church history, but the Urim and Thummim also, you know, frequently was mentioned in the Old Testament. It showed up multiple times in the Old Testament. Using a Urim and Thummim is the special prerogative of a seer, and it would seem reasonable that such instruments were used from the time of Adam. However, the earliest mention is in a connection with the brother of Jared. Abraham used a Urim and Thummim, as did Aaron and the priests of Israel and also the prophets among the Nephites, which, you know, haha, we're talking about right now. There is more than one Urim and Thummim. Did you know that? I didn't know that, but there's more than one, okay? But we are informed that Joseph Smith had the one used by the brother of Jared. A partial description is given in Joseph Smith history, and Joseph Smith used it in translating the Book of Mormon and obtaining other revelations. This earth in its celestial condition will be a Urim and Thummim. Okay, so this earth, that's this is Bible dictionary. This is not Lexi. This earth in its celestial condition will be a Urim and Thummim. Hebrew term that means lights and perfections. That's pretty cool. And many within that kingdom will have an additional Urim and Thummim. Interesting, isn't it? If it's an interesting, it's, it's an instrument prepared of God to assist man in obtaining revelation from the Lord. If the entire earth is an instrument prepared of God to assist man in obtaining revelation from him, like what will that be like? I don't know. 
I know that's a total side note, but I just kind of pondered upon that a little bit because, you know, here we are in the end days, obviously. And so I'm like, huh, maybe this is something to look forward to. I don't know. So I thought that was pretty interesting. Okay. But so that's the Lord provides prophets, seers, and revelators to benefit mankind. We're going to skip that section other than the Bible dictionary part. All right. So I can face my challenges in the strength of the Lord. Mosiah 9 through 10. Zenith. Zenith is a very interesting character to me because he had some righteous motivations. Um, he wanted to be near the temple of Nephi. At least that's what I think, right? Um, he wanted to take over the ancestral lands of his people. And, you know, he even had a time where he walked into the city of Lamanites and he saw that there were good people there. And so he didn't want to destroy them. And, you know, I don't know. He, to me, shows the example of a person who's very conflicted. Like, he's very humanized, I feel like, in this account. Like, he has fallacies, and he has weakness, but then he also shows strength, and he also shows wisdom in certain parts, too. So, I don't know. Zenith was a very interesting character to me. Um, Come Follow Me says, he admitted he had made mistakes. He was overzealous at times, and he put his people, the ancestors of Limhi's people, in a difficult situation by making an ill-advised agreement with King Laman. But later, when he went to battle against the Lamanites, he helped his people face their challenges with faith. As you read Mosiah 9.10, look for what Zenith's people did to show their faith. All right, how did God strengthen them? Well, let's look. Mosiah 9.17 specifically says, Yea, in the strength of the Lord did we go forth to battle against the Lamanites. For I and my people did cry mightily to the Lord, that he would deliver us out of the hands of our enemies. For we were awakened to a remembrance of the deliverance of our fathers. So a couple different things. He led his people in prayer, um, that they cried mightily to the Lord, that he would deliver us. You know, we as a people... And I'm recording this on April 3rd. So last Sunday was the fast Sunday where we together as a people fasted for all those who have been diagnosed of COVID-19, for all those who have been impacted by COVID-19, for all those who are currently fighting on the front lines of COVID-19. You know, that was us crying mightily to the Lord that he would deliver us out of the hands of our enemy right? And so I see Zenith doing the same thing with his people. So that's one of the ways I see that he showed them to meet their challenges with faith. You know, one of the cool things I've seen in my community is they actually have this group on Facebook. It's called Park and Pray Huntsville. And what they do is they like organize these prayer meetups where they meet up in specific places. And it's not just people of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, it's like all Christian faiths, all faiths in general, um, who pray. You know, they have these spots where they post, hey, we're going to be at this place at this time, and they all show up and they pray. And they pray for, you know, like the hospitals are one of the big ones that they show up and they pray in the hospital parking lots. And it was really cool. Um, a couple nights ago, they actually, you know, they did their park and pray and they did it specifically at the shift change of the nurses and the doctors and things like that. And then they went and they put all their flashers on and they flashed their headlights and they had these signs. And he said, you know, we're praying for you, for the nurses and the doctors and everyone who's working in the hospitals. And I mean, it was just I didn't actually get to go, but I saw videos of it. And it was so cool, like, just to see the video that I saw online of their lights flashing and their horns blaring. I just wanted you to hear a little bit of it, okay? So just just listen to this real quick. That's 
that's what greeted the doctors and nurses as they had their shift change was an entire parking lot of people flashing their lights, honking their horns, holding up signs saying, we are praying for you. How cool is that? I just think it's so cool. I love my community. Just the support and the love that they are pouring into the community. And I have to think Limhi did something similar, or not Limhi, Zenith. This is Zenith we're talking about. Zenith did something similar when he inspired his community to rise up and cry mightily to their Lord. And not only when you rise up and you cry mightily to the Lord, are you blessed, but then when you gather around your community and you hold hands together and you cry mightily as one, it strengthens the bond of your community and it makes it much harder to break that community apart. And I think that's definitely what Zenith was doing there. So he was invoking the Lord and the Lord's power then upon his community, but also like forging them together there in this little crucible, I guess, that they were in. And that really strengthened them. That's one of the ways God strengthens us, I think, is by letting us lean on one another. Um, it's just, it's just so cool. Some of just the different ways I've seen people come together during this crisis, I guess. Um, it really reminded me about that. Um, the last section in Come Follow Me that I'm going to talk about is my choices can influence generations. And this is just a side note. It's not anything specific, um, spiritual wise or anything like that. But it is interesting to me as we go through Mosiah 10, 11 through 17 to see the alternative version of history that the Lamanites had. Do you know what I mean? Where they were like, oh, the Nephites were so mean, and then Nephi and his brethren did this to us, and they did this to us. And um, it kind of really showed me that history is written by the ones who are alive telling it. You know, it maybe not necessarily did it happen that way, but the ones who are alive telling it, like, that's who's writing the history of, like, how it occurred. And it was interesting to me, too, to see a lot of the history that the Lamanites had was very victim-based. Like, this happened to us, and then they did this to us, and then they did this to us, where, you know, Nephi was just as much of a victim, I guess you could say, from his older brothers being cruel and mean, but that's not a history that the Nephites necessarily carried around with them. You know, they kind of moved on from that and were like, okay, we're going to follow the Lord. That's our choice. You know, whatever's happened in the past has happened in the past. We're going to move forward with faith. And so it was interesting to me to see that alternative version of history from the Lamanite side of things. Um, but yeah. So anyways, guys, I hope you are doing okay in the middle of this virus crisis. Um, I'm looking forward to General Conference weekend. General Conference is starting tomorrow. And I'm really excited to hear from our own prophet and seer and, you know, the other ones that are going to speak tomorrow and to hear the words that they have for us. You know, when President Nelson said that this general conference is going to be different and unlike anything we have ever experienced, I don't think that this is exactly what he meant, but I cannot wait to feel the spirit that will be there and the words that are going to be spoken. And I know it's going to strengthen my testimony and I'm excited about that. So wherever you are, guys, I hope you are okay. I hope you're doing well. I think of you a lot. Um, just know that I love you and I'm praying for all of my listeners and everyone else in the world, of course. So have a great week, guys. Bye, y'all. The Savior Said is not an official product or endorsed by The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. All comments and opinions are my own personal opinions and not representative of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. The music used in The Savior Said is Fireflies and Stardust by Kevin McLeod. The hymn quoted in the opening is Come Follow Me, lyrics by John Nicholson. 
The Come Follow Me curriculum can be found at comefollowme.churchofjesuschrist.org. For show notes, new episode alerts, and other fun and inspirational things, check out my Facebook page at facebook.com slash thesaviorsaid. You can also find me on Instagram. Comments or questions? Email me at thesaviorsaid at gmail.com. Content in The Savior Said is copyright protected. All rights are reserved. Thank you for listening.